gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. You're listening to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. This evening, we are going to be talking about something a little controversial and kind of weird. Like we do most times, we are talking about the 27 Club, which, if you are unaware, is a series of famous people who have all passed away at the age of 27 mysteriously. Or not so mysteriously, we'll be getting into that. This evening, I'm joined by Nancy, Sarah, Chris, and we've got a little bit of an audience going on because we're training. Anybody want to say hi? Hi. Hi. Oops. Hi. We're not talking to you, Nancy. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And it begins. The mud slinging begins. Fine, I'll just sit here in the corner by myself. Who who wants to start? I don't know who wants to start. You guys well, have I have all, the original. You have the original? I have the original. Oh, Sarah. Okay, well, who's the original 27 so Club? The original member of the 27 Club, well, he's considered the original, is Robert Johnson. He's a blues musician and songwriter from Mississippi. Um, obviously, he died at 27 and on August 16th, 1938. Am I registering or am I need louder? You got to just sit closer. Oh, okay. Anyways, he may not be well known to very many people, but his musical influence was evident in many rock and roll legends, including Eric Clapton, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, and Bob Dylan. He he was known for doing good riffs or something, wasn't he? Um, yeah, like I he, think he was like guitar yeah, riffs, guitar yes. riffs, and yeah, I think I remember. Hearing um, about him. so he struggled a lot during the beginning of his career. A lot of the times, he just would go on stage randomly without being invited in between acts to get his music out there. So he got kicked out a lot. Hey, is it my turn? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the story has it that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil to become a music musical genius. Two songs he wrote have associated with his alleged deal, despite neither actually mentioning the deal. Crossroad Blues and Hellhound on My Trail. Mm. There, and there's, there's a movie docu- about it. There's a couple documentaries, You're not on too. microphone, unless you got one in your hat. Do you got a microphone in no, your hat? No, he doesn't. Chris has got to get over to me. He's his get cause cuddly. of death is... Well, let's go. You said there's a movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the movie that I've seen is the one with... Um, the guy from Karate Kid. I can't remember his name. Mr. Miyagi? No, the Daniel. Danielson. Who's that? Oh. Is that the kid? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. So he plays a, a kid who wants to be trained by the the man who sold his soul. And basically he goes down to hell and has a guitar duel to try to get his soul back. Are you sure that's not Devil Went Down to Georgia? Yeah, Devil Went Down to Georgia. <laughs> it's called Crossroads. Well, I guess a lot of the... Uh, God, Chris is sitting so low now. Uh, so many of the, the, the deals with the devils and stuff like that are done in relatively the same manner. Either they're uh, giving up their soul for f- money and fame and fame and fortune, that kind of thing, or they're in a direct competition where they you know, duel over whatever. Well, it didn't Jimmy Page also allegedly make the same deal with the yeah. devil to play the way he does? And I was worried he's the greatest guitar person ever, but he's not on this list. So I don't know if anybody out there has heard of the Neebs guys, but they tried to do a sitcom <clears throat> television show, 
And one of their skits was a play on the devil went down to Georgia and he was, if the guy won, he won the golden fiddle and you know, it was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars and would play the best music ever. But if the devil won, then he got his soul. Well, when they started the competition, he's like, I don't want that fiddle. It look, or it was a golden guitar because they changed it up. Right. He's like, I don't want the good, a golden guitar. And he's like, what? Why not? He's like, why would I want a golden guitar? And he's like, it's a golden guitar, man. Like, who wouldn't want a golden guitar? And he's like, well, for one, it's made out of gold. I bet you it sounds like shit. You know, and he just keeps going on. So he eventually beats the devil, and he changed the deal a little bit. So because he beat the devil, now the, he owned the devil's soul. So, like, later on in the show after a couple more skits you see him at a party and he's like oh uh can we get some more cookies over here and all of a sudden poof satan shows up and he's like fine here's some more cookies and <laughs> yeah you know there's like a little problem with that what i think both chris nancy and i can contest this but the devil has no soul no soul. Why, why would you say the devil has no soul, Miss Atheist? Because angels don't have souls. Oh, angels don't have souls. And they're considered, Lucifer is considered Is that why angel. they're not God's children? Because they don't actually have souls? Yeah. Oh. They're automatons. Does Santa it, have a soul? Oh, my God. Yes. We're getting off San, topic. Santa. Anyways, just, anyways, we're off topic. <laughs> anyways, so his cause of death is unknown, but some said that he died of syphilis. And well, then there's also controversy saying that he was also poisoned. Oh, poisoned with syphilis. That's horrible. <laughs> Not necessarily poisoned with syphilis. <laughs> you douche monkey. I'm on a roll tonight, kids. <clears throat> but I'll, just so you know, all three guys that I'm covering well, are somehow connected. Really? And I will get to that at the end of mine. Who wants to go next? Who's got another one? You got, you got, oh. a, you got a quickie, Chris? I Why don't you just gotta... finish all yours so you're all do your Oh, so my, all my connections are yeah. done? Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right. Curious. Okay, so like I had mentioned that Robert Johnson had some influence over Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, and the Rolling Stones. So that moves us to Brian Jones. Do you guys know who Brian Jones is? Yeah, he was a guitar player, wasn't he? He was a musician with the Rolling Stones. So he died on July 3rd, 1969. Um, oddly enough, he had five children by five different women by the age of 23. So he got around. Oh. You'd be the boy. Anyways, he founded the band The Rolling Stones in 1962 and it was originally seen as a blues band. Oh. So there's your influence by Robert Johnson, right? So many, anyways, he played many instruments, um, alto saxophone, the electric, acoustic, and slide guitars, and percussion instruments. He played the alto sax on the Beatles song, You Know My, you know my Name, Look It Up, which I think is on the Yellow Submarine album. And he played percussion on Jimi Hendrix's along, All Along the Watchtower. Oh. He wrote two Rolling Stone songs called Sure I Do and I Want You to Know and may have wrote the music to Ruby Tuesday, but there's speculation surrounding that one. A little bit of controversy. In May 1967, Brian Jones was arrested for marijuana, cocaine, and methamphetamine, but Jones only admitted to marijuana use. But his addictions to drug and alcohol began to take its toll on his relationship with the band, which is ironic if you look at Keith Richards, and was let go on June 8th, 1969. Less than a month later, Jones was found dead at the bottom of his pool. His cause oh. of death was listed as drowning while noting that his heart and liver were grossly enlarged due to his drug and alcohol use. Wow. He went swimming without his floaties on. Yeah, he didn't have his floaties on. He didn't on. have his floaties on. <clears throat> 
So next is my one of my favorite musicians Don't on this list. To bring a towel. Yeah. So Jim Morrison, he died on July third, nineteen seventy one. Oh. Um, he was an excellent, intelligent student, excelling in reading, writing, and drawing, which is probably no surprise considering how poetic his music is. Um, despite rebelling against his strict military father, he graduated from UCLA. In 1965, Morrison formed The Doors with pianist Ray Manzarek, guitarist Robbie Krager, and John Densmore on drums. Their short five years, they managed to become one of the top bands with hits like Light My Fire, Break On Through to the Other Side, People Are Strange, and Hello I Love You, just to name a few. Mm. Gotta also mention L.A. Woman, because that was a good song, too. Um, Morrison was heavily into drugs and alcohol, which spiraled out of control, and he also had a violent temper and had been arrested a few times. But Morrison made a move to Paris, France with his common-law wife in order to try and regain control, but he battled with depression and his dependency on drugs. Morrison was found in his bathtub dead at the age of 27 out of an apparent heart failure. No autopsy was done. But there's an alleged conspiracy here. So there's um, a nightclub owner who wrote in a 2007 book that he published where he said that Morrison actually died at his club of a heroin overdose and that they moved his body to his apartment and stuck it in the bathtub to change basically the way... His, like as an apparent cover-up for his death right oh. so there's some controversy there a little bit of conspiracy theory i i don't know if you could believe that like 2007 book versus what happened in 1971 right how how much clarity was this guy's mind at or was he just trying to create some kind of money grab so how are they connected they're connected. So all three of my chosen 27 clubs are eerily connected because Robert Johnson's music inspired Brian Jones, who started the Rolling Stones as a blues band originally. Inspired Jim Morrison. And no, Jimmy, not really. Jim Morrison was not connected to that. Then Brian Morrison and Jim Morrison, Jim, Brian Jones and Jim Morrison were friends and both died in water on the 3rd of July, two years apart. Oh. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jay. <laughs> Happy death day. Oh, happy death day. Happy death day. So, yeah. What do you guys think of that connection? That's not so bad. I randomly just thought it, saw that this morning. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. It is creepy, isn't it? That I picked three random people. And then... They're all connected. You, in a weird way. And then you jump to who I've got, mm -hmm. who is also connected to your three. Robert Johnson, yeah. Uh, Robert Johnson, and yeah. And... Brian Jones. Brian Jones. Because the person that I've got is Johnny Allen Hendricks, who was later renamed James Marshall Hendricks, also known as Jimi Hendrix, uh, born November 27th, 1942. He was born in Seattle, and the reason that his name changed was his dad, his mother named him, and then when his dad got full custody of him and they moved, he changed his name because he thought... His mom had named him after the man that she was actually having an affair with. I thought you were going to say that after his dad left to go get a pack of smokes. No. Oh. That was <laughs> that would be rude. Sorry. That's yes. Rude, that's rude. Duh. But it happened a lot back then, okay? Yes, it did. Rude. He was getting was milk. Yeah. <laughs> He's really far away. Let's go get Coke. Coca-Cola. Oh, <laughs> my God. Okay. Sorry, Chris. Um, he started... Jimi Hendrix started playing guitar at the age of 15, and he was a left-handed guitarist. So in order to play properly, he had to play his guitar upside down and backwards. Just like Paul McCartney. Yes. Um, 
1961, he was given the choice to either go to jail or join the armed forces. So um, instead of going to jail, he joined the army and joined the paratroopers. After 26 jumps, he was discharged from the army due to a broken ankle, but yet there is no evidence of the broken ankle in any files. Um, he then moved to Nashville and began playing gigs as a... Sorry. Stop picking on me, Sarah. All I could picture was him jumping off and just grabbing his ankle, pulling a Peter Griffin. Oh, okay. Because who wouldn't? Yes. I would do that to get out of the army. Well, especially during the Vietnam, Vietnam War. Vietnam War, yeah. Because so, he lost. Yeah. Or they lost. So he moved to Nashville and began playing gigs as a backup guitarist for the Isley Brothers, then Little Richie, at working until the mid until mid sixty five. He also played with the Curtis Knight and the Squares before meeting Chaz Chan Oh, what the, how the heck do you pronounce his last name? Chandler? Of the he was the bass player of the animals and that's who took him on as his manager. And he didn't think that Jimmy would get over in the US because of um a lot of like um US bands um rock bands weren't getting over at the time and it was the European scene that was popular. So he told Jimmy Yes. Those were my guys. <laughs> so he told Jimmy, let's go to the UK. We can make you big over there. And and for Jimmy to move to the UK, he his one stipulation was to play with the band Cream, which is the band that Eric Clapton, Clapton first family. formed. Um, doo -doo -doo. Yes. Okay. Uh, within a few months of moving to the UK, uh, he... Uh, in England, he had three top ten hits. Those songs were Hey Joe, Purple Haze, and The Wind Cries Mary. Um, he later went on to then... Uh, he he got famous in the U.S. after playing at the Mariotti Pop Fest in 67. And then in 68, he released his third album, which is his most popular album that a lot of people know. And final studio album, Electric Ladyland, reaching number one. Are you fucking done? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. This With, is why we're not on YouTube, Tori. Yes. <laughs> Electric Ladyland, which reached number one. The double LP was his most successful album and only number one album. As the world's highest performer at the time paid performer at the time he headlined woodstock in 69 which is famously known for playing the star spangled banner and lighting his guitar on fire oh no um and then he played the isaac of weight festival in 70 uh before his accidental death of overdose um of a fix they said it was an overdose asphyxiation but a lot of people stipulate that his common-law wife actually um, knew that he was dying and left him in his hotel room to be found by the bobbies. So basically, an overdose asphyxiation is him choking on his vomit. Yeah. Just for the, the peons out there. Yeah. 
That's fun. Right? Who doesn't want to choke on the That's own why ball? when you go to bed, you should sleep in the recovery position. Which one's that? Well, basically on your side with your head, though. No, I do have... <laughs> fetal. Fetal, basically. Yeah. Oh, fetal. Go fetal. I do have other... Jimmy is a kickstand. <laughs> yes. I do have other facts about Jimi Hendrix that I did not add in because I wasn't sure if they were relevant. Like, the fact that his first tour in the U.S., he basically headlined and his opening act was... Or he was the opening act for The Monkees which him and his manager had several fights over. Rude. Um, <laughs> Remember just closing the door on us. How rude. Oh. And then uh, he was supposed Stir to play fire. Toronto. And when he landed in Canada, he was arrested for possession of marijuana and sent back out of the country. Bye-bye. So, yeah. And um, one of the ways that he used to induce... His drugs was by cutting his forehead, wearing a bandana, and laying the acid tabs across his forehead so that it would soak into his skin. That's fucked, dude. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, that's how he would do his acid. Huh. That was his drug of choice, was acid. Well, I figured that. You can tell by this music. Same with the doors. <laughs> no junk, no soul. Psychedelic, right? Psychedelic yeah. rock is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. But, huh. Next. Where are we now? That was, that was Chris. Oh, go to Nancy. Nancy, 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 Nancy. What's your card, Nancy? Can I get my pop? <laughs> so I uh, took on Janice Joplin, Amy Winehouse, and Jonathan Brandis. Hmm. And unfortunately got dropped. And then we did, and then we also have Kurt Cobain after. Yeah. yeah. So the one thing that surprised me about Janice, so my mom is a, was a huge Joplin fan. Same with my dad. And the one thing that surprised me was she started her first, the first band, Big Brother and the Holding Company was 1966. She had th- two more bands and she was dead by 1970. So wow. in four years. <clears throat> so it's now what? 2024. I think so. And I still listen to Janis Joplin. How many years is that? A lot. Right? That's like four years she came on the scene and she, we're still listening this much longer later. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to me, that I didn't realize that. There was only the four years. So I sat at home and I was like, holy crap, that's, like, insane. Same with Jimmy Hendrix. I got kids older than that. Yeah. Um, And then you think about now, some of the bands that have been around for so long didn't make that impact that these musicians did in the four or five years that they were recording and, and touring. But can you imagine... Fitting all of that in, all of that touring and all of that work into that small amount of time. And you wonder why they were high and drunk most of the time. Because that must have been insane. Well, it was a six. <clears throat> well, yeah. They, they say that within the five-year span that Jimi Hendrix was in the recording studio, not only while touring, he wrote and recorded over a thousand songs that were never released. Yeah, like that's insane. Like no wonder why they were all... They were all high. Burnt out by the age of 27. Right? When you look at the music, though, of the 60s, and you see the longevity and the influence it has now, the fact that generations are listening to things like the the Beatles, the Stones, the Doors, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, etc., Led Zeppelin even, like, their music has held the test of time where music today just doesn't hold that. It's because what we listen, what our parents listen to seems to have influenced us in a way because we connected through it to our parent from our parents 
And now our kids are connecting to that music as well, albeit a lot slower. You know, you have to go through the garbage first, right? Like, I'm not even going to mention names, but we know <clears throat> Taylor Quiff. Um, to get to the actual good music. <laughs> to, But that music is lasting longer than anything in the last 20 years. It's more influential because mm-hmm. it's more real. It was real people. Give the mic back to Nancy. Let her finish. It was real people playing real instruments and singing, writing their own songs. songs. Whereas today it's auto-tune, technical instruments. Yeah, synthesized, ghostwriters. It's nobody. And I know it sounds, you're going to hate me for this, but the only real artist right now that is out there and you're going to slap me and try to take away my man card is Taylor Swift. Well, she does write and produce and do all her own stuff. But she's horrible. But <laughs> she hasn't accomplished what some of these musicians no. have accomplished in a short period of time. Like she had to jump genres and and do all of that. Yeah. And it's she's been on the scene for what I don't know, ten years, 10 years something yes. like that, oh, a years. little bit longer, yeah. thirteen years, because she came went on when she was seventeen for country, and then she jumped over to pop. But in the thirteen years, she has not accomplished what some of these musicians have that we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, I says to Mabel, I says. Yeah. So Janis Joplin was born in January 19th, 1943, and she died um, October 4th, 1970. She was a singer-songwriter. She was born in Port Arthur, Texas. She had three bands, um, from 66 to 68, it was Big Brother and The Holding Company. 69, uh, it was Cosmic Blues Band. And the last one in 1970 was the Full Tilt Boogie Band. Uh, they also called her a trailblazer for women in the industry. Stop shaking your fucking heads. No, Just sit here and listen. We're boogieing. <laughs> they, they said that she was a trailblazer not only for the way that she sang, but the fact that she wasn't labeled a quote-unquote pretty woman. Um, she looked like anybody else, and it made other women realize that they had a chance if they had talent. Now, when you fast forward to today, if you were to take Janis Joplin and plunk her into today's uh, music industry, I don't think she would make it because you do need to look the part as well, I think, more so than have actual talent. Can concur. Yep. Um, she did get a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, her death, it was kind of a mystery. So there was three different um, conspiracies for it. But her last days were marked by a frenzied schedule of recording sessions and performances. There was obviously a lot of um, excessive drug and alcohol use. I remember my dad talking about her saying that anytime you ever saw her on stage or doing any show, she had a bottle of Jack in her hand. Yeah. And that you never saw her without a drink in her hand. Um, but near the end, you could see that she, it had taken a toll on her life and that it she was visibly exhausted. October 3rd, 1970, she gave her last performance at the Harvard Stadium in Boston, and it was described as lackluster and uninspired. Uh, on October 4th, 1970, she was found dead in her, her hotel room at the Landmark Motor uh, Hotel in Hollywood, um, and it left fans devastated. The, it's now been changed. What did they change the hotel name to? It's a garden. I have it written down. They changed it to something, but now they have a room that the room that she died in is like, um, they have a plaque and they have it like for her. Yeah. The Janis Joplin room. 
Yeah, so her he- her hotel room was found in a disarray, empty liquor bottles, drug paraphernalia um, scattered around the room. They, the room was covered in cigarette butts and pungent smell of alcohol and drugs. Um, it was evident that Joplin had been using drugs and alcohol heavily. Um, in her autopsy report, it stated it was she died of an overdose of heroin, um, which I guess was a very common death amongst musicians in the 60s and 70s. The report revealed that Joplin's Joplin had needle marks running up and down her arms showing prolonged use. Hmm. So the three theories were an accidental OD. Um, she was had a known struggle with drugs and alcohol. Um, possible that she accidentally OD'd on heroin or, or another drug. Um, but in a documentary, her friend stated that she doesn't believe that because she, I guess they had um, split what they had bought and the week prior the friend had taken it and the friend survived and she didn't understand why Janice didn't. So her theory is that she tripped, um, her heel got stuck on the shag carpet and she fell face forward and broke her nose. And then what do you call it? Asphyxiated. Asphyxiated from the blood from the broken nose. Mm. Um, she was found with cigarettes in one hand and cash in the other. But what they find weird is that she did her hit, walked to the ho- the lobby, bought a pack of cigarettes and walked back. And that's where they don't understand she should have just been down. Yeah, when you do heroin, it's just... But apparently an overdose can take some time to sink in. The second um, theory is that it was deliberate suicide, uh, that she intentionally took the fatal dose uh, due to having a history of depression and self-destructive behavior. The third was foul play. Some suspect that Joplin was murdered. Um, the theory is only based on rumors. As there were, I guess, threats against her life and suspicious circumstances surrounding her death. Um, She had rented the room 105 on the main floor of the Landmark Motor Hotel, which is now, sorry, Highland Gardens Hotel in Hollywood. Um, It was a popular destination for for musicians, and some are suggesting that she was found in her car outside and that they moved her to the hotel room. Like Morrison. Yeah, she was, and obviously she was known for her distinctive husky voice. Um, she invented the rock mama paradigm. Her influences were Led, Led Belly, Bessie Smith, and Big Mama Thornton. Um, like most of the musicians from what you guys are saying is, uh, she was kind of a misfit. She stuck out. She kind of walked to her own, her, beat, of her own drum. beat of her own drum. She was often seen with like barefoot and that kind of thing well she was also a flower child wasn't she she was very much flower child yeah yeah um yep she was her family actually had her cremated and they scattered her ashes over the pacific ocean Mm. um yes might not have been back then it is said that so her vices were alcohol jack daniels um meth psychedelics and then moved to heroin Oh. Full cocktail. Yeah. What kind of tail? Well, the I know you were saying that uh, they they think that she um was murdered, and one of the ways that a lot of people that used heroin back then were killed and made it look like accidental overdoses were speedballs, which was basically a high dose of heroin mixed with cocaine together. And because they used those drugs 
those people would use those drugs in accordance with each other, but not shoot them up at the same time. It could actually give the appearance of an overdose from heroin and not show the traces of cocaine in your blood system. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. It's just like, that's how you get stoned as fuck. No, but it's one of the things, like, Jimmy was a cocaine acid at... Here, want this back? Yeah, thanks. So, Jimmy was a cocaine, acid, and heroin user, but he would smoke his heroin instead of injecting it. So, the fact that he died of asphyxiation, and they found, like, all those drugs in his system, it was... That's why people think, okay, well, was he overdosed? Or did he actually die from, like, just choking on his own vomit? Did somebody kill him and make it look like the overdose? Right? Like, the conspiracy behind it. So, and one of the big ways that um, it's known that a lot of uh, artists back then were not happy with the record labels because the record labels back then were stealing money left, right, and center from artists and trying to hide it. So they would, the speculations um, were that um, if a manager and an artist were getting into altercations and they didn't want to deal with them anymore, was they would literally get them their drugs, take them to their hotel rooms, and they would give them this lethal dose of a speedball, as it's known as now on the streets, um, to off them so that they didn't have to deal with them anymore. But yet they could still make money off of their catalogs because these people had so many songs in the bank. Well, that's kind of the one thing I noticed is that um, when you're looking at this, this 27 Club, when and even like, I don't know what it's like now um, because I was saying I'm not a celebrity, so I don't know. But I'm sure things are very easily and readily available. Um, And instead of of teaching these these individuals how to handle the success, the fame, the demands that come with it, they just, they end up using their own vices, which drugs, alcohol, and in the end, it ends up being their demise. Instead of properly educating people on proper coping skills, alcohol is not a coping skill. Nope. Um, they uh, they just go ahead and do this, and then when you, when you start using, you obviously need more and more and more and more. And so my next person, which is Amy Winehouse, um, there's a part in here that talks about how um, her doctor was saying that she was tipsy but seemed coherent and could hold a conversation. And that flagged a thought in my head was, well, if you're an alcoholic, then you need more and more and more. But what do they call it? Um, a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. So you can function very well and appear completely normal but be completely obliterated because of the amount that your body can handle. Yeah. And so like that really says nothing. That just tells me that she could, you know, had been using alcohol for a very long time and at quite in quite a bit amounts to be able to carry on a conversation. And she was quite skinny and like itty bitty. So, Liquid I mean, diet. yeah, like you could uh, could imagine the amount. Well, yeah, you're tipsy because you're that small. But to be coherent, that's just that that's a little prolonged. Yeah. Prolonged use. You get drunk off a 26 or she drinks it like it's water. Yeah. Um, so, Amy Winehouse was born September 14th, 1983, and she died July 23rd, 2011. The official cause of death was alcohol toxicity. Uh, the blood alcohol level um, was more than five times over the legal limit. 
what's the legal legal limit? Isn't zero point eight. Was wait, was she found in North America or England? She's found in England. Before her death, Amy had long struggled with drugs, heroin, and crack and alcohol. Uh, her dad stated crack. days leading up to her death, she had given up drugs and had been sober for three weeks, as she had stated. Um, in 2013, her death had been investigated again as the original coroner um, hadn't had the proper qualifications. The investigation concluded the same results, however, accidental alcohol poisoning. Uh, there is no exact time of death. Unfortunately, authorities stated she had been dead for several hours, but pronounced she was pronounced dead at 3.54 p.m. in her bedroom at her house in Camden, London. Um, and then this is her doctor, uh, Christina Romet, had seen her the evening before. Uh, she seemed tipsy, but calm and coherent, wasn't able, but was able to hold a conversation. Um, her dad had said that um, he wanted it noted that she didn't want to die. And that she was looking forward to her future, which I find makes it really sad. And if you've, the one thing that I thought too was maybe that she was going through more than she led on um, and didn't want to tell people. Mm. And so that's where it kind of came of a surprise to her parents. She was planning on going back out on tour. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we all keep secrets and mm-hmm. we only tell people and show people what we want them to see. And so you often wonder what people are hiding. Amy's la- Amy last spoke to her security team around 10 a.m. on July 23rd, telling them she was going to sleep. Hours later, her bodyguard found her in bed and called emergency services. Um, he, her bodyguard detailed his last visit. Amy had stated she'd give it all. She would give it all back to be able to walk down the street with no hassle. Um, unfortunately, that's what I said before. People aren't properly trained on how to handle um, the type of fame and, and how much your life changes. But in a way, when you want to be a rock star, pop star, celebrity, whatever, you automatically have to know that that's going to have to go with it, mm-hmm. um, that your life is going to be forever changed. Yeah. Um, her, her family did help establish the Amy Winehouse Foundation to help those with st- substance abuse. In 2016, the foundation opened a recovery house called Amy's Place. Hmm. So that was a good thing that came out of a dark. Um, the one thing I thought, too, is she was always, she had a look about her, right? Like she had like that pin, pin up almost look. And that if she were to walk outside with normal hair, no makeup, you probably wouldn't recognize her. Right. Yeah. So that then I thought, well, like, why wouldn't you just take it all off and walk down the street looking like a regular person without the wing liner and the big hair people might not have noticed you yeah the last one that i did was really i found really sad because there wasn't a lot of alcohol or drug abuse um it was just uh somebody that was a perfectionist (coughs) and he was undiagnosed with bipolar Hmm. um so this one kind of was to me was the saddest he jonathan brandis he was an actor from our 90s heartthrob Mm -hmm. Um, he was born April 13th, 76, and he died November 12th, 2003, um, by hanging. He was found in the hallway of his apartment. Um, he was rushed then to Cedar sinai Medical Center, but died from his injuries the following day. It's kind of confusing because everything I read said that he was found dead hanging, but then they brought him to the hospital and he died at the hospital from his injuries. So, like, it... Well, uh, he could have been brain dead because you are cutting off oxygen supply. 
the part that kills you, when you hang yourself, the part that actually kills you is if your neck breaks. And it's depending on the placement of the rope. I'm not going into much more detail than that. But chances are he was probably classified as dead at the apartment because he was brain dead, but his body was still responding and then died later. So that's how it probably was classified yeah. as. Permanently sleeping. Okay, because did, they did say that he hung him. He was found with um, a nylon rope. And that there's some some conspiracy stating that, that, yeah, there's stretch to it. Would a nylon rope hold a grown man? I mean, like he, you know, he was, was he, no, but he, you know, like at least 200 pounds. Was he jerking off? Cause that's a that's, thing nowadays. No. No. Jesus <laughs> we can't take you anywhere. <laughs> leave my home. Yeah. Wait, wait. Can't have nice things. Um, he did not leave a suicide note. But friends noted that he had been depressed due to his declining career. Yeah, and his parents had said that he placed a lot of pressure upon himself and trying to trying to navigate from because he started when he was I think some said two he was modeling and then got into acting when he was six. So at 20 years old, the roles had kind of dried up and he was struggling to try and find try to, to go from like the teen heartthrob to like an adult actor, um, which we know many people do struggle with. See, if he had waited long enough, they would have put him in one of the stupid Marvel movies. Matt, shut up. What? They put everybody in those things. I'm surprised Pamela Anderson's not in the <laughs> Marvel-verse. No, she did Scooby-Doo. Oh. Uh, reports did say um, that he had started drinking heavily prior to his death, and he had expressed that he wanted to take his own life. Um, his career began when he was two in modeling. Quickly, so not sorry, do you want to? No, no, I was just gonna fix it. Oh, he quickly became a teenage heartthrob. Um, at seventeen, he signed on to star in Sequest DSV, uh, but by the time he was twenty, the show was canceled halfway through the third season. He struggled to find substantial roles after. Um, now it's it's allegedly that he dealt with with alcohol but nothing was found in his system when he died and it was it was like point it was a what was it 0 0.03 was oh, his toxicology yeah, yeah was his toxicol but that was the level of alcohol in his system that's probably what this I is the young man that was blonde haired blue eyes and did the movie Ladybugs. yeah yeah lady okay yeah, i thought so yeah, he, yeah and he was in the movie with chuck norris uh, yes yeah the side ninja or whatever the yes. heck it was um, the one thing that his friends had said was that he never perceived himself as a heartthrob. He just wanted, was an actor who just wanted to work. Um, his, his, uh, level of fandom was compared to those of rock stars, uh, which had a level of public pandemonium, um, that neared the Beatlemania. Was he was like a Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. He was, yeah. he was one. Yeah, okay. it was, All it right. was absolutely insane. He was friends with Johnny Depp also. Okay, so he was yeah. a girl boner kind of thing. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? One was it he dated? What was the girl? What was her name? Tatiana Fra uh, Ali from uh, Fresh Prince. They dated for three years, and she had said um, after she heard of his passing that she's like, "Well, when you've been on covers of magazines for years, and you're an actor, and then all of a sudden you're not, what, what's your identity?" And so that I'm I kind of you start to understand. That, you know, when you've, especially when you start when you're two, and then all of a sudden you're 20 and you're like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. And you don't know who you are. 
It's kind of the opposite of the Amy Winehouse situation because she just wanted to walk down the street and he, where he just wanted that fame back. Yeah. So she would give it all up just to be able to walk down the street where he would be like, no, I want to work. I want to be on these covers. Not maybe not necessarily be on the covers, but still be, me, be meaningful. And that relevant. was. Yeah. And that was his way of thinking, even though he was probably still relevant. And those roles probably would have came in eventually. I mean, Devin Sawa himself had issues after his teenage heartthrob. Um, time because I know because I followed him deeply yes. and now he's back and yes. he's in a more mature role he's taking on more mature stuff sometimes you just need that break that level of maturity to hit and go away <laughs> kidding um, to to do it and I think that time would have came for him if he had just been treated properly like yeah. diagnosed early figured out what was going on with him and maybe things could have been different that's or, the sad part yeah and his dad did state he said looking back um he saw episodes of like manic and depression and so he thinks that he was undiagnosed um and so when somebody has depression it's not a, lo a regular level of low it's a very deep level of low um if and, and there's also is it uh the girl that played punky brewster soleil moon fry she did a documentary called 90s kid i've seen it it's good and it gives it gives you like insight into um what it was like for them to be child actors and then to move through life yeah because they're home videos yeah yeah and she said that you know he left her voicemails and the one thing that she learned from his death um well obviously the lessons a lot of her friends had passed of drugs and alcohol, but she said those lessons she learned. But then she also learned that when you ask somebody how they are and they're like, oh, I'm good. They're, she, not. they're not. And so that she's like, it's really important to notice um, the change in your friends and, and let them know that they're not alone. The L.A. Police uh, Department's uh, did a suicide investigation. Um, and it was pretty much it. it I read I read through the investigation, but it pretty much came up the same as all the other research that I had done. Um, the it said the alcohol the paramedic smelled alcohol in his vomit, but there was yeah his his alcohol level was point zero three. You could have a shot and puke and yeah, especially alcohol. if you're not a heavy drinker. Yeah, yeah. So then, our last is Kurt Cobain. Bum bum bum. Which I remember being 14 years old and hearing about it and being devastated. Did you cry? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was a huge, still am a huge Nirvana fan. Now, the thing that sucks about this is I really wanted to do this, but I dropped the ball on it so bad because Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix are two of my biggest music influences. And when I, like, I was only nine years old when Kurt Cobain died. So, yes. Shut the fuck up about your age. Um, but, uh, we need so, to get some more vitamin C cream. <laughs> the, the thing is, is like, I was introduced to his music after his passing, but I remember, like, I can clearly remember sitting and listening to the radio and hearing, like, Nirvana, Nirvana's Nevermind album and in utero on the radio mm -hmm. and then like i didn't know about his passing until later years and when i found out i was like holy crap like and it was so publicized but to realize how big of like i i know it's this is gonna be a little messed up and matt can attest to it but if it wasn't for my kids 
I wouldn't be here right now. Like my kids are the only reason I'm still here. And I've always said that if it wasn't for me having my son Hayden when I did have him, I probably would have joined the 27 club myself because I had hit rock bottom at the age of 27. That's a really, it's an interesting year though, because that's kind of when you look at, you know, your adjustment from like the teen years through to becoming an adult and then you're in your 20s. Once you get to about the age 26 to 30, that's when you start to look at like, what am I going to do with my life? That's when you start to feel lost. That's when you start to question things like shit, like I'm an adult now. And, you know, I'm res- I have to be responsible. And now I have all these things to do. And if in school, we didn't learn how to do our taxes. You didn't learn how to be an adult. You don't learn any of that. You're just like thrown into the world and you're like, hey, there you go. Have some kids and try to keep them alive. But that's the kind of the age where you sit and, and I've got a couple of friends that are going through that and they're like, I feel lost. And it's like, no, that that's what happens around that age is you start to feel lost and you start to wonder like, am I doing what I'm supposed to doing? Adulthood is not what I thought it would be because when you're a kid, adulthood is staying up late and eating what you want and ordering pizza every night. But in reality, that's not what adulthood is. And that's not what being independent and responsible is. No. It's, it's you know, it's a lie. Yes. It's a big fat lie. As somebody who was around at the same time as Nancy, I was not a huge Nirvana fan. Um, but I do remember when he died. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, he seemed young. Like, I'm 14. 27 is not that far away. You're thinking, I heard a rumor how? that... Uh, he originally what we will get into it well then we better hurry up because we got three minutes left oh shit there are so many conspiracies <laughs> like you could honestly sit and talk for hours yeah. about the conspiracy around Kurt Cobain's death so it. he was born in February 20th of 67 in Aberdeen Washington and he died April 5th of 94 in Seattle Washington he was found 9am in the greenhouse above his garage at his Seattle home with a 20 gauge shotgun 12 gauge 12, 12 gauge. It says 20. It says 20? 20 gauge. There was a 12 gauge shotgun. Oh, no, that's the, 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 the what we found. and everything are a 12 gauge pump shotgun. If it's a 20 gauge, that's a big hole. Well, he was the only way they were able to um, identify his body is through his fingerprints of his right hand. Yeah. Oh. Why, what so. was wrong with the left hand? Was he trying to block that's his face from the that's bullets? That's the hand that he shot. He he shot he through. His, through was. wasn't it through the mouth? He bit down on the barrel after shooting up. Apparently, yeah. So, Mike, say that again. It Michael, was a twenty gauge shotgun. So all research says it's a twenty gauge shotgun. But if you read any of his books, any of the books and biographies on Kurt Cobain, it was a twelve gauge shotgun because he didn't own a twenty gauge. He owned a twelve gauge. That. Remains to be seen, though, just because he didn't own a in twenty the, gauge. In the mean, police report, it says that it's a Remington Model 11 20 gauge shotgun. Yes, in the police report, it was classified as a twelve gauge shotgun, though. Well, then it's wrong because it says twenty gauge everywhere else. Yeah, that's why you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Neither can you, then. So one of us is right and one of us is wrong. I want candy. Okay, <laughs> now the thing is, is though they say that he bit down on a barrel and pulled the trigger with his left hand, but shot himself up in the right arm with heroin before doing everything. And if anybody knows a heroin addict or has ever seen a heroin addict, after you shoot up, you have literally two to three minutes to do anything because you Whoa. cannot. Hold wait, on. Wait, this is gonna but wait, there's head. more. 
So his toxicology report, so his, he had no alcohol in his system, but the blood test results, he had morphine by RIA, and we said that was? Um, Tested through the fingernail. He had 1.52 milligrams. He had codeine. He had 0.11 milligrams. Diazepam, 0.08. And nordiazepam, which is 0.28. And those were therapeutic levels. Yes. Those were normal. He tested positive for, what was it? Basically heroin. Heroin, yeah. Tested positive for heroin. Um, In his urine test, there was opiates and benzos. You sure it wasn't so glycerine? All of that wrong band. Oh. All of that and then you try to do you try to like successfully kill yourself. Yeah. Like it just it does didn't make any sense. So one of the things that Nancy and I concluded while we were going through the toxicology report was that the level of um morphine that you could take that would kill a person is two point something milligrams 250 250 milligrams right and it would leave 0.5 milligrams detectable in your blood which meant he took more than 250 milligrams of morphine he would not have been able to sit up let alone insert a shotgun into his bush now the strange thing is is I, i know we're jumping ahead on your on Kurt, unfortunately. No, we're leading there. But um, <laughs> when Courtney did his whole press conference and everything like that, they found a guy who apparently committed suicide by being hit by a train. Um, and he left a note stating that he was hired by Courtney Love to kill Kurt Cobain. Well, wasn't there also a documentary where there was another hitman that said that he was approached by Courtney Love and he refused because he didn't want to be the man that took down Kurt Cobain? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot. Like, we could sit and talk. Fuck off, Matthew. Thank you, because I was going to say that. (laughs) So as Nancy, I'll just take over Nancy's laughing her ass off right now. Um, I I think, well, I'm not going to go off that. I think um, what we're going to do is probably cover this as more of a true crime case, because I not being a, a Kurt Cobain fan myself, but I can. But you and Nancy are, and I can look at this at a crime perspective and see that there is definitely something here worth exploring, because on based on those toxicology um, numbers alone, there's no way. So what I'm I'm hoping to do is get the use the FOIA Act and and get the FBI files. FOIA. FOIA. So. Is it just mainly musicians and? It seems like it. It was musicians and actors mostly. It, it seems mostly musicians. It seems to be mostly musicians, not even actors. Just people that have transitioned into acting. Well, what about that guy from the Star Trek movies, Anton Chekhov? Che- 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 car ran over him. No, that was somebody else, wasn't it? No. But he was still twenty-seven. Was he? Yeah. He's yeah. Part of the Chekhov is part of the twenty-seven club. Ant, Antoine, Ant, Anton, and Guantanamo Bay guy. I'm pretty sure that's incorrect. It is incorrect. I can't remember his name. It's probably also culturally insensitive. Most likely, but unintentional. I just can't pronounce his name. Like it's kind of right up there with the Coochie Coochie board. Wow. So yeah, there's a lot of people. I don't know if there's any <laughs> correlation between them, but yeah, it, it's really creepy. So. Well. That's a microphone. You need to put the words in there. Well, the strange thing is, is if you go back and look, Kurt Cobain was influenced by the music and jazz of Jimi Hendrix. And once again, the first person that we covered, Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. And 
in one of his songs and one of his favorite quotes was, uh, I'd rather be dead than famous because he wanted the fame. He wanted everything that came with fame, but he wanted to be able to take his daughter to McDonald's and have a meal and not be recognized. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. Exactly. Like you can, and every, everybody, it doesn't matter what job you do. There's going to be aspects of it that you don't like. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of have to do it because it's your job. Um, do you want me to continue with all this uh, stuff? No, or? We're, at, we're at 52 minutes. We know that Kirk's dead now. <laughs> You're breaking my heart a little bit here. This is Kurt Cobain. Well, I'm going to rush it. Keep that information. I think, okay. yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I didn't want a biography on everybody. Okay. But can I, can I talk a little bit about, like, his death in particular? Not the conspiracy behind it? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because we haven't really said anything. We've kind of jumped right to the end. Yeah. So okay, he. Well, so I just. I just need like three minutes. Okay. Okay. I'll time so you. he was missing for six days, prior to being found. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he was found by the electrician that was installing a sir uh, security system, um, who called the police. Uh, prior to um, in March, he had a failed attempt. Where he had locked himself in, they were in Rome and they, he locked himself in a room and Courtney called the uh, police saying that her husband has locked himself in a room with a gun and he showed up, they showed up and they removed the gun from, uh, from him. And then he said, oh no, I wasn't going to do it. Um, but there was, I guess, leading up to that, to his death, there were all the bandmates and the their manager and thing. They were getting ready to stage a huge intervention because it was just com- like his his using was completely off the yeah. charts and he was going completely bonkers. Um, and he was very erratic and very chaotic. And they were trying to get everything together and all the resources to be able to give him an intervention and put him into a treatment center. Well, they, Dave and Chris had, he ended up overdosing and Dave and Chris ended up putting him in the hospital. And his way, when he was released from the hospital, his way of saying fuck you to the public was coming out of the hospital in a wedding dress. Yeah, was, like he was like, very erratic yeah. to begin with. And I'm pretty sure that there was some undiagnosed stuff going on. It had to be a little bit of schizophrenia by the sounds of it. Like he, he was a little unhinged to begin with. And then when you add drugs and alcohol into it, then there's a problem. But that's all I wanted to say was that there was a failed attempt prior and that he had gone missing for six days. Hmm. Uh, Courtney had canceled all of his credit cards um, so he couldn't go anywhere or do anything. Um, yeah. But he was found at his place of residence in Seattle. Actually, Courtney did everything. Yeah. Mm. We might get into that. Yeah. Well, I think the best way to end this one is with something that Mr. T says, you know, stay in school, don't do drugs, eat your vegetables, listen to your mama. Learn positive coping skills. Yeah, yeah. Take up, like, smoking pot. Do you know how much pot it would take to kill you? Positive coping skills are exercise, journaling, discussing with a friend, not changing the negative thought processes processes that go through your brain. Using a substance is not a positive coping skill. Oh, well, then I'm busted as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so just in case anybody is having thoughts of suicide or anything, 
The suicide crisis helpline is 988, or you can text 988 as well. Really? Is, yeah. Is that easy? I Googled it. Or you can Google it. Or you can Google it. If there's time for that. But 988, yes. And we advise anybody who is struggling with mental health to seek help immediately. Yes. Yeah. Or or or, or call me. Yeah, call Matt. Yeah, call me. Email. I'm not doing much. Oh, yeah, just oh. throw it around. Nancy just beamed her cat with the lid of her coffee. All right. You guys have a good night, and we will see you next week. Have a good one.